Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You aren't what you eat. You aren't what you consume. You are what consumes you. Have you ever heard the expression, you are what you eat? Well, there may be some nutritional and physical health wisdom in that statement, but from a spiritual standpoint, nothing could be farther from the truth. It's not what's going in you. It's what's coming out of you that makes you who you really are. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue this week through the book of Mark in our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, we're going to hear some important truths from Jesus about our hearts. The religious leaders were accusing Jesus' disciples of eating without going through their ceremonial hand washing. Because of that, they said they were defiled. Jesus takes the opportunity to teach his followers that it's not so much what goes into our stomachs, but what comes out of our hearts that really makes a man or woman defile. It's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. Where is your heart? As Pastor Clay is going to show us today, the heart is the real issue. Some people try to keep all the rules to win God's favor. Some people ignore the rules and live the way they want. But as we'll hear today, until a person's heart is right, the rules won't really matter. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 7 and let's get to the heart of the issue. You know, we're moving into that time of year, you know, that I call summer food. You know, I mean, you have, you have winter food, and, you know, that's, that's good. And all food is good. But summertime, you know, you're able to get out and maybe fire up the grill a little more than, um, uh, than, when, than when the weather's cold and nasty and, and that kind of thing. So uh, maybe some of you have some plans. Maybe you've already been grilling out this weekend, or you have some plans to, to grill out tomorrow and, and that sort of thing. And... Uh, so, uh, how many of you in here enjoy food? Right? Yeah. It's all right. Y'all can admit it. Food is good. <laughs> food is good. Food is good. Have you ever heard, uh, have you ever heard this phrase, uh, you are what you eat? You ever heard that phrase? You are what you eat? I'm a Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> no, you, you are what you eat. Apparently, I did not know this, uh, but uh, that phrase... You are what you eat is kind of a, a condensed or paraphrased a version of the original. This uh, French dude uh, back in uh, 1826, I think it was, uh, who was kind of a, a pioneer in the area of uh, correlating uh, the, the food that you eat and the health that you enjoy in life. He was, you know, guy that kind of pioneered some, some work in that area. And he, he wrote this uh, book, and in the book, uh, this is the way he put it. This was a statement that he said, tell me what you eat, and I will tell you what you are. And that apparently eventually morphed into, uh, you are what you eat. Tell me what you eat, and I will tell you what you are. Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, what you think about that or, you know, and I know there's different kind of ideas about what's nutritionally healthy. And, and I know some of y'all are really into the whole nutrition thing. Um, I'm really into it too. I, I think fried chicken is one of the healthiest things you can possibly eat. So, uh, 
Now, but, you know, I, I know there's different ideas about what is, what is nutritionally health, healthy and, and that kind of stuff, and, and everybody comes down maybe in a different place like that. But let me tell you, uh, somebody that really believed this idea that you are what you eat, it was the religious leaders back in Jesus' day. Uh, they really believe this. Now, John uh, Spolino last week brought you the Word of God uh, from Mark chapter 7 This in our series. We're working through Jesus, the real action hero. He brought you uh, verses 1 through uh, 13, uh, and, and we got into this idea of this, um, this exchange that goes on between Jesus and the religious leaders, this altercation that, that took place between Jesus and the religious leaders. And it all centered around the idea that uh, the religious leaders uh, said to Jesus, your disciples are not doing this ceremonial hand washing. Now listen, I think, hand, I think washing your hands before you eat is a, is a good idea. I'm, I'm pro-clean hands. But, but, there, but there was a ceremonial ritual that they had. They had, really didn't have so much to do with, with cleaning your hands as it had to do with fulfilling the ritual. And so uh, they said, your disciples don't do the ceremonial washing before they eat food. Therefore, the food that they eat is defiled. And when they then eat that food, it goes into them. Their def- that defilement, defiled food goes into them, and they therefore are defiled. So they get into it. We're going to finish the rest of that story today and find out whether we really are what we consume. Uh, Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. If you brought a copy of God's Word uh, with you, it may be uh, on your phone, it may be on your iPad, it may be an old school hard copy. Uh, But the text is also up on the screen. Mark chapter 7 verses 14 through 23. We're finishing this story of this, this action event that took place between Jesus and the religious leaders and what came out of that. Y'all doing okay? Y'all bummed out that y'all didn't get get a place at the beach this weekend like everybody else? (laughs) It is Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people, you know, getting away and beautiful weather. Wow, wasn't yesterday gorgeous? Was yesterday fantastic or what? I mean, it was just a beautiful day today. You know, I think it's probably going to be a little warmer, but it's also beautiful. And, you know, can I just just tell you this? That's nothing to do with sermon. But, you know, in the business of life, just slow down sometimes and just look around. You know, look look at the, look at, you know, the old saying, spring, spring green. Y'all ever heard that? Have you seen the green of the spring? Listen to the birds? I don't know. Yeah, never. <laughs> I'm waxing eloquent. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just like, I like life. I like life. And I, I like to en- enjoy it. And I've got this hawk that comes through I, from, my, from my study, my office windows. I, I watch this hawk and he lives in our neighborhood. And he's all the time coming through. And, and now he's been perching up on uh, my neighbor's the corner on the eve of his house. And I just watch him and I... I don't know, it's just, pay no attention to the man on the stage. Mark chapter 7, let's begin in verse 14 this morning. After he called the crowd, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him, if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. 
And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, uh, this is really kind of an important truth, although it Contextually, we think about it in the sense of dietary restrictions and laws for the nation of Israel and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, but Jesus said, said to the crowd, listen to me and understand this. He who has ears, let him understand. And, and you're trying to say something to them uh, and, and I think even to us still today. And so uh, as we walk through this text this morning, we'll be here for, for a little while, Lord God, and then we'll... We'll go out, we'll go get something to eat, and we'll enjoy our day, and we'll, we'll do whatever. Uh, but for right now, uh, we have your word open. We want to feed on your word. And so uh, we ask, Lord God, that you would speak into our hearts and our lives. It is your word which is quick and alive, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is able to divide soul and spirit, even joint and marrow. And as I always pray for myself and for these people uh, Lord God, you take your word and you do surgery in people's lives. I was thinking this morning, Father, I don't, I don't know if it's right or not, but, but you are the surgeon. Your word is the scalpel. I just get to be your rubber glove. <laughs> and I'm happy to do that, Lord. So would you accomplish in my life and in the life of each person in this place and who will listen to this message exactly what you want to do because that's what this is all about it does it's not about just getting together and hanging out for a little while that's wonderful fellowship sharing time together laughing and that's good but this is about worshiping you this is about doing what the church has done for 2,000 years worshiping you not only through the songs that we sing but but through the receptiveness of our hearts which I've got a lot to say about father about the the attitudes of of where we are in our life and our walk with you. So, uh, your will be done. Uh, your will accomplished in this time in Christ's strong name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Got a BP Square for you today. If you're new to Cross Called Church, BP Square stands for Big Picture Biblical Principle. Big Picture Biblical Principle. I wanted to do that in an accent, but I couldn't think of one to do. BP Squared is this this morning. Rules don't change the heart. The heart changes the rules. This is a principle that you will find in life. Rules don't change the heart. The heart changes the rules. As I said a moment ago, all of this took place because of a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. John 
uh, brought that out last week. He, he read that to you. And uh, it, it all had to do with this ceremonial hand washing. And what, so what went into them was unclean. And therefore they were unclean. And, and all this, this kind of stuff. Now, Jesus has been having, and you, as we walk through Mark, you've heard this, you've seen this a number of occasions. Jesus has been having altercations with these religious leaders almost since the beginning of his ministry. But as Jesus, um, as Jesus' popularity increases, the religious leaders are ratcheting up their opposition to Jesus. And it can be said that as Jesus' appointment with the cross draws nearer, that, that Jesus is confronting them more and more. And, and it's understandable. Listen, these guys had, had so distorted and, and really perverted the Word of God in such a way that they basically had convinced a majority of the nation of Israel that their right standing with God, their, their salvation, they were saved, if you want to use that, 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 that term, they were saved as a result of what they did and not necessarily as a result of what God did. They had made it all about rules and regulations and rituals and they had taken the people down this, this path of... of, of Good works. Now, good works are good. Nothing wrong with good works. Unless you think that you are performing good works in order to gain God's approval, in order to, to be in right standing with God, which is what they were teaching the people. And Jesus was not pleased with this. So, in, uh, in verses uh, 1 through 6, somewhere in there, uh, you have this this confrontation. And, and after Jesus tells the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, off in, uh, in on down through verses 7 through 13, he tells them off. And then in verses uh, 14 through 16, he, he engages the people, the crowd. He, he, he focuses back in on them. He's already told the religious leaders off. And so then how he engages the crowd. And he says to them, Listen to me. He says, listen and understand. He says, hey, hey, everybody. Hey, guys, listen and understand. Both listen and understand are imperative verbs, which give them a, a voice of command. Jesus is saying, this is really important. Listen to me, guys. What I'm about to say to you is very important. And then he says to them, it's, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. That's what it's really all about. And then in verse 17, after he finishes, he makes that statement. Then in verse 17, he goes into the house, time alone with his, his disciples, those, those, those guys that were following him around, they were going everywhere with him, time alone with them. And as soon as he gets in there, I'm telling you, no sooner than the door is shut, they begin to question him about this teaching that he'd just been doing with the people. And then that wasn't unusual. Okay, Jesus oftentimes would elaborate a little more. He would go maybe a little more in-depth with those guys later on when he had an opportunity. But it's pretty clear, I think, that Jesus is a little, 
He's a little put out. Is that the right term to use? He's a little put out. He's a little frustrated. Maybe that's a good word. He's a little frustrated with his disciples. That, that, they, that they, they don't seem to be grasping this truth. In, in verse 17, I guess 17 and 18 or 18 and 19, he says, are, are you so lacking in understanding also? The religious leaders, yep, absolutely. Their hearts are hard and they're not going to get it. The crowd, they seem to be more focused on, on the physical and the fleshly, and, and they're having a hard time grasping some of this. But are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Now, obviously, Jesus is not talking about the physical heart, okay? He's talking about the, the spirit of man. He's talking about the inner man. He's talking about the, the spiritual contrasted against the physical, against the, the fleshly. And he's, he's a little frustrated that they don't seem to be getting this. You know, we, we talk about God being a, a patient God, right? And he is. Can I hear an amen? God is a patient God. He's certainly patient with me, and I'm, I'm grateful that he is. We talk about God being a, a patient God. But listen, I, I can tell you this from here and some other scripts we'll look at in a minute. There is a clear, I want you to hear me on this, there is a clear expectation from God that those who would, who would call themselves his followers, his children, followers of Jesus, however you want to put it, there is a clear expectation on the part of God that those who are his would grow up in their theology. Their understanding of who God is. And that, that's really all theology is. We, we make that some sort of big word. But theology simply means your understanding of God. It's really what it comes down to. The study and understanding of God. These guys had been with Jesus for quite some time now. They had heard all of his teaching. They had seen the miracles. And yet, Mark specifically tells us in chapter 6 that they learned nothing from the feeding of the masses because their hearts were hard. And then a little bit later, they're terrified when Jesus comes out walking on the water to them. And they have no faith that it's actually Jesus, but instead they believe it's a ghost. And then now, they, they just, whew, they apparently fail to get this truth, this really fairly obvious, plain truth that Jesus was giving to them. That got me to thinking. I know a lot of people are gone this weekend, so y'all are going to get the brunt of this. <laughs> but that got me to thinking. I wonder how frustrated God gets sometimes with his followers today. Because listen, how long, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how long, and you don't have to answer this out loud or anything, but just, you're just thinking to yourself right now, how long have you been a follower of Jesus? How long have you had a copy of his word Multiple copies, probably. How many opportunities have you had to, to grow spiritually? To grow in your theology, your understanding of God? Here's the question. Would you say, based on how long you have been a follower of Jesus, that you are right where you should be in your understanding of God and His Word? 
Now listen, it's okay if you're here and you say, yeah, I, I think I'm just about where I'm supposed to be. Praise God. That's awesome. I've been a believer for three months or, or three years or 30 years and, and I, have, I can see this, and, you know, and, and praise God. But would you say, based on how long you've been a follower of Jesus, that you are right where you should be in your understanding of God and His Word? But I know, right? We're busy. We're busy. And, and besides, I don't know if you've looked at it, this stuff is hard. Yeah, there's it's lots of stuff. There's lots of names in here I can't even pronounce. And, and all these different stories and, and stuff is happening. This stuff is hard. You know, I don't, I don't know where or when. Am I on my soapbox right now? I am. I don't know where or when this started. But in the church today, at least in the church in America today, there is this understanding or this belief that if it's hard, I, 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 can't, I can't do it. If, 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 if it's difficult... If I have to work at it, if I have to read this and, and, and keep reading it, if I have to research it, and I, and if I have to learn it, so this is hard, I, I can't do that. Just, just, uh, just tell me. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me what I'm supposed to believe. I, I get that all the time. Just, I, 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 just, I, just, want, I just want the answers. And can I tell you this? That, uh, that phenomenon, for the most part, only exists within the church. Outside of the church, everybody understands that there, that there is a correlation between hard work and success. Now, I'm not talking about your salvation. You understand that's a free gift and faith and all that stuff. But I'm talking about this idea of, of growing up in Christ Jesus, being a fully devoted follower, learning, growing in your theology. Everybody, everywhere knows that there's a direct correlation between hard work and success. Uh, anybody that wants to be a great athlete knows that they have to work at it, right? Right? Come on. Anybody that, that wants to be a successful uh, business person knows that they've got to put in the long hours. They, they've got to do all the work, all, the, all, the, all that's involved in that. If you, want to, if you want to be a great CEO, if you want to get great grades, if you want to get employee of the month, everybody understands that it takes work. But for some reason... It seems that there are very few people that are actually willing to work at their understanding of who God is. I'm just telling you, it's the truth. And uh, let's see, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on everybody's case, but we, I should point out that, that apparently this is not a new phenomenon. Look at what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. I'm, I'm having talked to you as a person of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. He's talking about spiritually, what he's teaching them. Watch this. For you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? There's the evidence he's saying. You're, you're acting like you're not growing up. And are you not walking like mere men? I was thinking about that phrase right there at the end. And I, I was thinking, dear God, how many times have I acted like a mere man? When I'm not, I'm a child of the king. I'm redeemed. I have the living God living in me. How many times have I acted like a mere man? Let, let me give you a, a, a concise paraphrase uh, for 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Grow up. That's what he's saying to him. 
And look, look at the writer of Hebrews. Uh, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Why? Since you have become dull of hearing. That would have been a great chance for one of y'all to say, what? Never mind. For though by this time, watch this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Oh, how many times have I heard that? Oh, I can't, I can't be a teacher. Oh, I couldn't be a teacher. Writer Hebrews says you ought to be a teacher. You, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. There it is again. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Condensed, paraphrase, say it with me. Grow up. Grow up. There is this this understanding that God expects his people to mature, to grow up in their theology, in their understanding of who God is. But anyway... Jesus is a little frustrated with his disciples at their lack of understanding. We should say that there is an historical context that, that, we, should, that we should bring out so that we don't think too badly of them. Way, way back in the book of Exodus, way, way back when God first brought the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he took them out into the wilderness, and, he, and he was out, they were out there, ended up being out there for, for 40 years. But when, when God first took them out there, God gave them uh, some, some instructions. And part of what he gave them were these dietary laws. God gave them some dietary laws. And God declared that, that some, some things that they ate, some uh, animals, things like that, were, were considered clean, and some were unclean. Some they were to eat because they were clean. Some they were not to eat because they were unclean. Now, uh, there's a lot to say about all that, but let me just cut to the chase and say that the primary reason for those dietary laws that got, that had had nothing nothing to do with us, but had to do with the nation of Israel, the primary reason God gave those dietary laws to them out there in the wilderness was symbolic. He was trying to contrast he was trying to distinguish between, between what is holy, what is separate, and what is not. And he was trying to teach the nation of Israel that he was calling them out to a special purpose and that they were separate. They were not like the nations that were around them. They were not to go chasing after false gods and idols. They were not to live a life of, of immorality and and. and Indulge in sinfulness. Not that the other nations were either, by the way. God didn't give them a pass. They weren't supposed to either. But the, but the nation of Israel had identified themselves as people of God. They said, yeah, we're the people of God. Then God says, okay, here's what you need to understand. You're different. You're not, you're not any better than anybody else, but you're different from the way they are. You've got to act different. You've got to live different. And so there was this, there was this, this teaching lesson, these, these clean and unclean animals, this, this, symbolism that was part of the purpose for the dietary laws so that they would understand God's separateness and their separateness from the way the Egyptians had lived and the way all the other nations that they were going to be traveling through had lived. They were different. They were distinct. And then along come, here they come, along come the religious leaders telling the people that, hey, it's all, it's, keep, the, keep the ritual. Keep the, the, don't eat what is unclean. Eat, eat this, you're good. Don't eat that, you're not good. And you see where they, they had taken it. They, they, they had 
They had made it all about the action. And we still see this today. They would made it all about the action, and they had missed the application. You understand? They had made it all about, do, don't eat the unclean things, and they had missed, I'm trying to teach you that you are different, that you are the people of God, and you should live differently as a result of that. So, all their lives, back to Jesus and the disciples, all their lives the disciples have heard, you can eat this, it's clean. You can't eat that, that's unclean. You eat this, you're okay. You don't eat that, you're, you're not okay. I mean, that's, that's their whole lives. They've heard that. Now, Jesus comes along and he says, hey, it's not what goes in you. It's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. So, I just say that to say we can at least kind of understand why they were struggling with this, although clearly it appears that Jesus thought they should have gotten it by now. But we can at least kind of understand why they were struggling with this idea and what Jesus was saying to them and what he's saying to us is that, listen to me, guys, guys, how can you, how can you still not get this? It's the same thing I've been teaching you the whole time. It's the same thing, really, from Genesis to Revelation. It's the same thing, guys. Here it is. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's about the heart. It's, it's not about a religion to me. It's about a relationship with me. And they have, they have convinced you that it's all about the action. And that's bogus. It's all about the spiritual connection between you and me. That's what I'm trying to teach you. That's what I want you to get. So you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is taking them back to the lesson. He's taking them back to the reason. And so, again, uh, this time from the New Living Translation. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustfulness, desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. You see, the religious leaders... It was their heart. Their heart was hard, and so they changed the rule into what they made it. They changed the law into what they wanted it to be, what they, what they wanted it to mean for them. Listen, that's probably not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's 13 individual actions that, that summarize the condition of a person's heart when it's hard towards the things that... By the way, it, it, it's not necessarily referring to the person that, that stumbles at times or, you know, they were... Maybe I was too prideful about this or, or, or I slipped in this area of my life. He's talking about a person that, that this, this, is the, this is what comes out of their heart. This is what comes out of their life. This is who they are. You understand? It's the heart. It's the intent of the heart. That's what matters. Uh, we used to see this. We used to see this all the time in, uh, or a lot in student ministry. I was in student ministry for several years. And uh, Cindy and I would have uh, students come to us. And ask, invariably ask this uh, question. Well, uh, how far can I go with my boyfriend? With my girlfriend? Right? Anybody has been in student ministry, very long, hung out with kids, you, students, you've heard that at some time, I would suspect. Yeah, because, you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but uh, at least from 13 on, sex is a pretty big deal. I'll just go ahead and break that to y'all if y'all didn't know that. It becomes a pretty, pretty big, can become a pretty big deal. So, uh, so we would get this question. Well, how far can I go with my boyfriend, with my girlfriend? I mean, can, can, we, can we hug? Can we kiss? 
Open mouth, closed mouth, light petting, heavy petting. How, how far? How far can we go? Now listen, listen. Do you hear it? Do you hear it in the question? It's the heart. They're asking the wrong question. What they're really asking is, how far can I go and not be in trouble with God? That's what, isn't it? That's what, I asked the same question, I'm sure. How far can I go and not be in trouble? Well, actually, I didn't even care whether I got in trouble with God. How far can I go and not be in trouble with God? That's really what they're asking. They're asking the wrong question. The question they should be asking is, God, how can I honor you with this body that you have given to me? How can I, how can I remain pure and unchaste as a result of of my desire to honor you and your giving me this body that you've given to me. See, it's, it's the intent of the heart. That's why, listen, that's why Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And I know John read this uh, last week uh, up in verse 6 and 7, but, but, he, but he's coming. But Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah in chapter 29. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. You see, and, 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 and I know last week y'all talked about the correlation of that and, and the worship and, and what makes for authentic and genuine worship. But, but, but it applies to every area of our lives. That, that, listen, you can be a fine, upstanding citizen. You, you can look as moral as anybody. The truth is, your body can be in the church house while your heart is in the outhouse. It's the heart. Where's the heart in this? In, uh, in the book of Exodus, in uh, chapter uh, 30, in verse 20, it says, uh, God says, you can make this choice, watch this, by loving the Lord your God, notice the first, by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. Do you see? You see what it starts with? It starts with the heart. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the heart. Where is your heart today in relation to this this thing about God, this following God, this, this desire to what? It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's not about the rituals. It's about the heart. The religious leaders made the law what they wanted it to be because their hearts were hard. All right, here, here, here's, here's what it ought to look like. Let's, let's start with some, some hearts here. First, it starts with a responsible heart. Listen, you got to own it. it if, if you are at a place in your life where you look at it and you say, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going through the motions here. I'm just playing at this thing. I, or, or, I, or maybe I'm, I'm trying to keep the rules and regulations, but truth be known, it's primarily because I want God to bless me or at least not zap me. You, you have to own it. You have to take responsibility of, of where you are in, in your walk with Christ and your relationship with God. It, it, it's on you. Which if a person does that, if they take responsibility for where they are, then hopefully that leads to the second heart, which is a repentant heart. The heart that says, no, wait a minute, this, this is not right. I'm not doing right. I'm not, I, I'm not living this right. I, I'm acting like this or, I, or I've, I've put it off or I've made excuses or, or I've, I've run through the motions or I've played at this thing. A repentant heart says something like this. 
God, I'm sorry. God, I have, I have pretended. God, I have played. God, I have made excuses. God, I have, I have, whatever it is I've done, God, I have not been a man after your heart. My heart has been cold. My heart has been distant. My heart has been indifferent toward the things of God. God, would you forgive me? That's a repentant heart, which then comes a redeemed heart. Now, repentance may have to take place at any time in a person's life, you know, even a person with Christ, without Christ, wherever they are. But a, a person that comes to God for that first time, recognize this, what, what the result is a redeemed heart. That heart is, is born again. We enter into this relationship with God. And so suddenly there, 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 is, there is a different motivation in our heart and in our life. God comes in and he cleans that heart, so to speak. And he changes us. He's, he's making these changes, which is the, the next place that we go to. It's a receptive heart. You see, the, the repentant heart, that's the redeemed heart, that heart suddenly becomes receptive. It suddenly says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I want to learn I want to know more. I want to grow. I want to honor God. I want to please God. I, I, it's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's not about the laws. I want to do this. I want to know God. I want to please God. I want to honor God. And so you are, that, that person that has, they are receptive to what God wants to do. You understand? All of a sudden it's like, yes, I, I, want, I want to do this. And, and there's busyness, and our flesh is pulling at us, and all that kind of stuff. But the receptive heart says, no, this, this is too important. Which then leads to a refined heart. God uses the refiner's fire at times, and he refines our hearts. And he, he, he begins to make our heart match his heart. He cuts out, to use the Hebrews term, he surgically removes the hardness of our heart. The indifference of our heart, the coldness of our heart, the fear of our heart, all, all, whatever all those things are that we struggle with at times when it comes to this intimate walk with God and this desire to please Him above everything else. All of those things that, that, that become part of who we are, God refines those things. He, he purifies. He takes those things out of the way. And when that begins to happen, then, ladies and gentlemen, what you see is a reflective heart. Your heart begins to reflect the heart of God. Look at... Uh, the way Paul put it in Philippians chapter 3, uh, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Watch how he's, how he's doing this. Not uh, having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. It's not from keeping rules. It's not from keeping regulations. Not, not from any of that stuff, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Here it is. That I may, say it, know him. Know him. Not just know about him, not just show up for church, not just that I may know. That's what I want, Paul says. That's what I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed, shaped into the image of his death, being conformed to his death, because dying to myself. I'm, I'm dying as far as I'm concerned to this life in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Listen, here's uh, just a little thing, I, one way for you to think of it. When our heart reflects the heart of God, our lives reflect the person of God to the world around us. When we begin to think the way God does, when we begin to love people the way God does, when we begin to treat people the way God does, when we begin to see people the way God sees, and we begin to, to, uh, to die for those people, not 
Not in the sense that Jesus did. Not to redeem them. That's something that Jesus and Jesus alone can do. Not to redeem them, but to reveal to them the God who loves them. The God who cares about them. The God who desires to reach them just as much as he desired to reach you. And so your heart begins to reflect the heart of God. And when your heart reflects the heart of God, your life, what's coming out of you, will reflect what God would desire. You you see? You get it? At least pretend you do. (laughs) All right. And then, uh, we got this going. One more. Uh, uh, After reflecting heart, we end up with this. It was where we've been aiming for the whole time. A rejoicing heart. This is the heart that is full. This is the heart that, that gets it. This is the heart that has come to the place where they understand, hey, I, I, don't, I don't know uh, laws or rules or regulation, all that kind of stuff. I know God gives them. I know there's reasons for that. But man, I, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to hang with Him. I want to honor Him. I want to live like Him. I want to walk like Him. I want to talk like Him. And you can rejoice in that. There... there I, there's rejoicing in that. There really is. And, and all of a sudden, when that, when that happens, when you get to this place and your heart is rejoicing in the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even matter what the culture does with the, with the rules because Jesus rules your heart. And he's the only one you want to please. He's the only one you're aiming for. Where is your heart? In this, remember what Jesus said? Listen, listen to me, pay attention to this. It's not what's going in you, it's what's coming out of you that makes you who you really are. The truth is, here it is, we're done. You aren't what you eat, you aren't what you consume, you are what consumes you. What is the passion, the heart? the drive of your life. That's who you are. Thanks, Pastor, for that important reminder about the condition of our hearts. The religious leaders' hearts were cold toward God. As Pastor Clay showed us, their hearts were filled with pride and arrogance. As a result, they changed the rules into what they wanted them to be. They made them a self-producing path to right standing with God. But in reality, their hearts were far from Him. Jesus calls us to give Him our hearts and allow Him to refine our hearts so that our hearts reflect the heart of God. God certainly gives His people rules to live by, but when we understand that those rules are for our good and our heart's desire is to draw near to God, that's when our hearts can rejoice in the life He has given us. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.